Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. I don't know about you, but I'm, I guess I kind of have some control issues, if I'm really honest. And for me, I do not like to lose my keys. Do y'all like to lose your keys? Who like straight freaks out when you lose your keys? Be honest. I freak out. I mean, I really do. Marla can contest to this. I'm, I'm walking around the house. I'm like, where are my keys? I don't know where my keys are. Where am I? Have you seen my keys? But then here's, here's the interesting thing. As I kind of walk around and my, you know, my whole day is shot until I find my keys. I'm not going to work. I'm not even preaching. Well, cause I can't get here, but still, you know, I, I just, I have to find my keys. And like, I lose my mind if I lose my keys. And what's amazing to me, I mean, I just, I like to have things so orderly, but all it takes is that small thing to totally change my perspective of whatever it is that I'm doing. And automatically in that moment, and this is just, I'm, this is just me being real with you. Maybe you don't do this, but I do. Here's what happens when I lose something and I lose my keys. My mind starts racing and I start blaming other people because I couldn't have lost it myself because I'm so organized because I always have control of things because I always put them on the key ring. Right? Like right at my door. I always kind of put them on the loop. That's just what I do. And if they're not on the loop, then obviously somebody took them off the loop and they did something. They got into the car. Oh, I know what it was. I bet G went into the car. I bet she went into the car because she probably forgot something. And then I bet she probably brought those keys and she didn't hang them on the loop like I do. And, and I bet she, they're in the room. They may be gone by now. Who knows? Oh, and then my mind's racing. I'm like, oh, now, oh. And, and all the while, I'm just like, it's starting to boil. It's starting to come to the surface. I'm like, man, now it's going to cost me money. I don't, does she know that these keys, you got to be responsible with all these things, right? And like all of a sudden, and then I, and then I shifted around. I'm like, all right, all right. Well, maybe, maybe she didn't lose him. Maybe it's not her. And then I start blaming myself. I'm like, oh, what did I? Okay, now what did I do? Then I trace my steps, right? I'm like, well, when did I have them last? Oh, yesterday when I got home. Okay, good. That helps. It was yesterday. I can't remember what I had for breakfast. Now I got to find out where my keys were yesterday when I got off work, right? Anybody ever play this scenario in their head? And then you retrace all of these things because you, you believe that at the end of that little treasure hunt, you're going to find your keys. What happens is then I take and I, I don't blame someone else. Then I start blaming me and I'm like, oh man, I know better. I knew I was going to freak out. Where did I put my keys? I never put my keys there. And then eventually, after I've got the whole house all stirred up and I've walked in front of the TV three or four times so everybody knows I'm looking for my keys to maybe inside a riot where they start looking for my keys too, right? Because that never happens. Getting everybody in the house wanting to know about it. But in that, in, in that whole sequence of events, and this is just so real to me, in that sequence of events, what I've done is I've, I've done something wrong and I've tried to blame somebody else for something and they probably had nothing to do. And then I start blaming myself and start shaming myself for something as silly as losing my keys. And in this process, I lose my keys and I lose my mind. And if I'm not careful and you're not careful, we will just lose our witness. Right? Isn't that how kind of the, 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 the anger and how the words, how all those things tend to happen? It's just stuff just kind of bubbles to the surface. But if we don't do something, when it starts bubbling to the surface, we're going to lose something that is so, so, so valuable. What we will do is we will lose the ability to communicate God's love. 
If we don't do something with those things that just just bubble to the surface, if we don't do with the anger that is just that can rev up in every one of us, I don't care what your personality type is or whatever your situation is, all of us have this where it just kind of just bubbles to the surface. If we don't do something with that, what we will do is we will lose the ability to communicate the love of God because all of life is based around three vital relationships three three vital loving relationships and this is the interesting thing that that James talks about in this text the interesting thing is this if we don't do something with our anger if we don't watch our words and if we don't actually if we're not aware and listen to what's going on in the moment we will lose the ability to communicate God's love And, and Because all of life is based around three vital relationships. In your worship guide, there are three different places you can fill in. The first vital relationship, the first vital relationship, that if we don't do something with our anger, this is not in James right now, by the way, if we don't do something with our anger, it will taint all three of these vital relationships. But if we don't start at this point, then when James gets to it, we'll be scratching our heads saying, what? Right? Everybody say that with me. Say, what? All right, there's like four people, but I'm really hoping for six. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. Perfect. You guys would make an awesome, awesome choir. Um, You really would. First vital relationship is this. The relationship is God to mankind. God to mankind. Now, you could be thinking, Mo, what does anger have to do with with my relationship with God? We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Uh, But it's, it's God to mankind through Jesus Christ. God, even before Christ came to earth, we know from Romans 1.20 that, that God has been pursuing us in a relationship. That ever since the beginning of creation, we have no excuse, is what it says in Romans 1.20. No excuse that God exists. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what, what time period. It doesn't matter if you go back 500 years, go back 2,000 years. It doesn't matter if you're in Malaysia, if you're in Dublin, Georgia, if you're in Antarctica. We have no excuse for the existence of God. That's what the Word of God says. God has been in pursuit of relationship with us the whole time. And He will. And He does. And He pursues the greatest way that God communicated His love, 1 John 3.16 says, says it this way. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. This is how we can know what love is. This has to be the starting point of love. Love didn't start when you were like 15 and, and that girl started looking at you and you never had a girl even look at you. Guys, this happened, right? And like this girl started looking at you and you're 15 and you're like, wow, she's looking at me. And you're thinking, man, you're thinking, you're in your mind, you're trying to put together plans. You're like, she's looking at me, she's interested, she's breathing, I'm breathing. Let me see if I can get her number so we can text, right? We didn't do that back in our day. We had to, we had to call the old school way before cell phones, right? But that right there is just, we, kind of, we can kind of twist around and that's kind of funny, but, but love starts And really, the the understanding of love starts with what Jesus Christ did for us. It starts with that. If we start anywhere else, if we start with with that kind of love, or even start with, you know, saying, oh, will you marry me, and all those things, then we're we're missing something. It starts with understanding that the very foundation of love 
is Christ Jesus. So the first vital relationship, so much more I could say about this. We kind of talk about this topic a lot. The second vital relationship, this is what we don't talk about a lot. I can't wait until 2016. There's going to be a whole series about this. Creative team's been working on graphics and videos and talking and planning. I love this stuff. Second vital relationship, second vital relationship is self to self. Self to self. Self to self. Mainly, this is the identity. This is your identity in Christ. This is the very thing that that has been marred by sin, guilt, and shame. This is the very thing that has been tainted by Satan himself. This is the very thing that when your father or or a male, ladies, that your father or a male figure victimize you, this is the very thing that that your soul was damaged, not irreparably. Not irreparably. Because there is a Father in heaven that we just declared through song. He's a good, good Father. I'm not even sure that's, that's even phonetically true, but I know it's scripturally true. He is a good, good Father. That we are loved by God. And we have to, we have to tell this to ourself. Because anger either lends in one of three different places. Being mad at God, because anger all stems from somewhere. It's either being mad at God, being mad at yourself, or being mad at other people. So self to self, telling yourself, I have a creator who loves me. I have a savior who died for me. I have the Holy Spirit residing within me. I am a new creation. My mind is being renewed. I am loved by God. Therefore, I am lovable. We have to complete this this cycle. We have to create a mantra within us. When when Satan whispers that you're not lovable, we have to create this little mantra of better words or of lack of better terms to just kind of tell ourselves just the truth and the promises of God's word to us. But the third vital relationship is this self with others. Self with others. And all three of these are drawn from the first and greatest commandment, or the first and second greatest commandment, loving God and loving others. We're part of others. We have to love ourselves. We have to love ourselves. So we have to love others. Now, we're told that, that when, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and I do hope that you are, or I hope that you, you at some point in your life, very, very shortly, will cross the faith line that you will receive Jesus Christ in a personal way. But when you do that, you receive the, the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit, you get this ability through what they call the fruit of the Spirit. I know it's kind of a weird thing, but you kind of get the fruit of the Spirit. And we see this in Galatians 5. You get an ability, a greater capacity to love, a greater capacity to have peace, a greater capacity to have self-control, a greater capacity to have patience. Nobody needs that, right? Right? A greater capacity to have kindness. Somebody said, no, I heard your voice, and yes, you do. <laughs> a greater capacity for kindness and for goodness. And notice, every one of those things that I mentioned help us love other people. But when James talks about this, and he talks about these, these relationships, these vital relationships... He doesn't use it in, in certain terms, but what he mentions is this trial that we can be faced with going to, uh, to the Word of God in verse 19. If we don't understand that anger 
impacts all three of those relationships, we'll miss something. We'll either love God but not have the ability to love ourselves. We'll either love God or we won't love other people. Or we'll have some mixture of the three. Verse 19, James 1. My dear brothers, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, he's connecting the two ideas. Anytime you see in Scripture, and I mention this from time to time, anytime you see the, the word therefore, he's, that the word of God, there's being connecting the idea of preceding it and the idea of following it. So he's saying, therefore, this is the how to do it. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. We'll stop at verse 21. We'll pick up verse 22 next week. Verse 19, it starts out, this is just a little nugget um, for you. And you see this specifically, and this is very, something very particular to the letter of James. Anytime James writes brothers or my dear brothers, he's introducing a new idea. So even in this text, he's kind of introducing a new idea. And you kind of see this throughout the thread of the letter of James. So he says, my dear brother. So he, he's like, uh-huh. there's a new topic. Here's something new. Here's something new. So he's saying, all right, scattered churches, I really want you to get this because this will impact you, not just your relationship with God, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with other people. This, this will really impact everything. So he says, uh-huh, pay attention. He says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You're already overwhelmed. I see the look on your face. You're like, why can't this sermon be over? I fail at least in two or three of these things every single day. Um, there's hope. There's hope. So let's break this down a little bit. Being quick to listen and slow to speak. This is not a new idea in the Scriptures. Proverbs 18.7 said this. Proverbs 18.7, a fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. No, what, what was just said there? If it's a snare to his soul, that means that it's, it doesn't just hurt other people. That means he hurts or she hurts their very selves when they speak. So being quick to listen slow to speak. Proverbs 18, 13 says this, He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. See, we do this on like, anytime you're in a comfortable relationship, we kind of do this. And this is where it becomes really, really dangerous. Because like for Marla and I, we've been married for 21 years, right? She has put up with me for about 23. Um, she said I do 21 years ago, right? She deserves like a medal, a poster, whatever. She needs a lot, right? Because I know me. And so here's the thing. When you're together a long time, you get to the point where you can kind of finish each other's sentences. Like you just instinctively think that you know what they're thinking, Right? So when they're talking, you're like, sometimes it's so easy. Like one person's talking, and it's like, da 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 And the other person's like, I've heard you say this before, so we kind of, we shut it off, right? 
We form an idea. And then we finish that thought. But what do we do for the other person who was speaking? What do we do? I mean, we just... We just totally cut them off. We totally disrespected them. And this gets so, this is so practical because this is what happens when you're in a comfortable relationship. Because you just kind of know each other. It's like in and out. And like, like uh, there's not much about Marla that, that I don't know. And, and yet it's the same way with me. And yet you kind of get comfortable. But the truth that of what James is saying here says, hey, slow down a minute. Just slow down a minute. Maybe you know what that person's going to say. Maybe you're reading the look on their face and you're forming an opinion and an assumption of what they're thinking, what they're about to say. And James says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just slow down for a minute. Just slow down for a minute. Evaluate what's happening. Just slow down for a minute. Just slow down. Then he also says something that if you're, you're going to be quick to listen... You're going to be slow to speak because you can't listen and talk at the same time, can you? Because if you listen and talk at the same time, you know the only person you hear? That's right, you. That's it. So we see kind of this this effect, and, and this is so common to everyday life. So when James is kind of mentioning this in this text, he's like, hey, I'm introducing a new idea, and this idea is so revolutionary. But it's not new. Many of the Proverbs, I could have quoted many other Proverbs that, that mention the idea of this, and the value of words, and the value of listening, and the value of giving respect to other people. And yet there's something that we know, even... Uh, what Spurgeon said, something we know is great talkativeness is seldom disassociated with great sinfulness. I'll say it again. Great talkativeness is seldom disassociated with great sinfulness. What he's saying is something that we intrinsically know. If you're just talking all the time and you're not listening to someone, all you're going to do, I mean, we just continually put our foot in our mouth. If I were like Gumby and flexible, I would totally put my mouth right now. Like, don't we know that intrinsically? Just like from life. Even if you're not a Christian, you know that to be true. If somebody just talks all the time and you can't listen to anyone else, you know that person is just sinning upon sinning upon sinning. They're just like, they're just doing damage to themselves or doing damage to other people. So, part of this, and maybe a point of application from this section, I have... Four main questions that I think it would be helpful that you would write down. Because just for me to say, uh, you need to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry, that doesn't necessarily seem all that helpful. You're like, awesome, I would do it if I could. That's what you're thinking. So here's what I want you to do. Rather than just, just slow down when something's going on and you feel the emotion kind of rev up before any of that happens, while that's happening, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have kind of four things to kind of renew your mind, reprogram your mind with these four questions. Especially when you're becoming angry or you feel the need to be angry with someone else. I want you to ask this question. What are they really saying? What are they really saying? There's many times where people have just absolutely unloaded on me. 
And let me tell you, it's happened more since I've been a pastor than before I was a pastor. I've had people who've just unload on me, but you know what I, well, there's something, a little, a little trigger that happens in me, and I'll say, you know what? I know what, I know what they're saying, but where is that coming from? And then I can, I can be compassionate because when they unload on me, and I haven't always got this right, just to be completely honest, but when they unload on me, I sit back and say, okay, where is that place coming from? Rather than me just confronting and like meeting that with a wall of anger, where does that come from? And then I start to realize, and compassion sits in and say, you know what? They were probably victimized too. They're probably acting out of a response of their own anger. And that came from somewhere too. Because anger always has a source. So I ask the question, what are they really saying? What are they really saying? Are they telling me, you know what, I'm hurt, please help me. Are they telling me, you know what, I am absolutely, I am absolutely clueless on how to handle this situation. Could you please come and fix it? What are they really saying? Before you respond... With any sort of anger, any sort of emotion, I want you to ask that question. What are they saying? What are they saying? The second question is this. What are my emotions telling me? Because anger always has a source. What are my emotions telling me? When you see somebody and you think, you think, man, our first response when somebody meets us with anger, our first response, it's intrinsic to the human experience. It's part of our sin nature. The very first thing that we want to do when somebody's angry with us is meet them with anger. But we don't just want to meet them with that anger. We want to do better than they did. To meet their hurt upon us with more hurt. Not scriptural, not Christ-like doesn't benefit any of those three vital relationships that I opened this talk up with. It only does damage. So ask yourself the question, what are my emotions telling me? What are my emotions telling me? Are they telling me I'm hurt? Are they telling me that person's crazy? Like they got a special kind of cray that I don't even know about? What are, what are your emotions telling you? I'm a grown man, I shouldn't say cray, but I just did. You're welcome. What are my emotions telling me? And this may be the most valuable question. Do I have to respond to this? Do do I have to respond to this? Because just because somebody meets you with something, meets you with an irritation, just because somebody does something that rubs you the wrong way, doesn't mean that you need to respond to it at all. Just because your boss comes and lashes out at you doesn't mean you need to meet that with with just a little bit greater degree of anger or whatever that he came, she came to you with. Do I have to respond to this? Do I have to respond to this? And then kind of piggybacking on that one, how must I respond? How must I respond? How must I respond? Is this something I should just be quiet about? Okay, now I have to say something. How must I respond? I think if we kind of stop in the moment, we kind of filter through, reprogram, it's part of the renewal of our mind, we kind of go through, and that's that's honestly what all of this is. It's saying just don't, don't 
open mouth, insert foot. I'm not going to hear you. I'm just mad at you. And my anger is just going to be out of control. It's going to bubble over. And if you get burned, who cares? James is saying, no, 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 no. Brother, sister in Christ, there's a better way. There's a better way. So if you have to respond... And you ask yourself the question. I had to be very general, by the way, with, with these questions because I believe these fit so many circumstances that you would go on. Whether it's a relationship, a relationship issue with your kids, a relationship issue with your boss or husband and wife, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, I think it just it impacts. These questions are very general, but I think they're applicable to a bunch of different things. But if you have to respond, I have three other questions. These are things, this is a little mantra, a little something I've had in my head for years and years and years. My ministry team, I've, every ministry team that I've been a part of, I've kind of shared this. Community groups that I've led, I've, been, I've shared this. First question is this, if you have to respond, is, is what I have to respond to, is it true? Is what I'm about to say true? Is it true? Second question is this, is it kind? Is it kind? So is it true? Something could be absolutely true, but if you don't say it in a kind way and you just say, you know what? They said it, and I said something back. It was true. What do you think of that? Then you're just as wrong as the person was when they victimized you. So is it true? Okay? Is what you're about to say to them true? Is it kind? The last one maybe maybe is even most important. Is it necessary? Is it necessary? Do you really have to say something? If you could kind of reprogram yourself to rethink, okay, how am I going to respond in this situation? Your relationships will get better instantly. I guarantee it. Or your money back. Wait a minute. So to be slow to become angry, it says at the end of verse 19. Now, something about verse 19 going into verse 20. It says, to be slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. This anger that he's talking about here is explosive anger. That's just like, as soon as something happens, boom, you blast him. That's just explosive anger. That's, I didn't think about it, I didn't care, I, all I knew was my emotions revved up, and I responded out of those harsh emotions, and I just blasted them. And James says something that is very, very clear in this text. He says, for man's anger, that explosive anger, that's what the Greek word means there, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. You cannot walk around like a time bomb and live the life that God wants you to live and to, to extend and to communicate the love of Jesus Christ in the way that you're supposed to. Men, I know you specifically struggle with anger. Men, it's just statistically true. Maybe not true of you. Maybe you don't think it's true of you. Maybe it's a conversation you need to have with your spouse as you leave here to see if it's true of you. But oftentimes, men, we kind of, we just become angry. And what happens in our anger is we just rush, we, we rush in and we make everybody else rush out. We don't bring anyone into ourselves. We push everyone else away. 
You've had a bad day. You've, you've come in and things weren't as, they, as you wanted to be at work. So you come home and you're still upset about what happened at work. You kick the dog. You go sit in the chair. Dinner's not ready. So you're mad at your wife. The kids come around and says, hey, daddy. You're like, get out of my face. You don't want to hear anyone. You don't want to talk to anyone. So you turn on the TV and you kind of sit there in a vegetative state. All because your anger was unchecked. And all because, if we're honest, you were mad at someone else. But now you just took it out on everyone, including your dog. It's terrible. Jesus said this, and I've told you this a, a few times, but just maybe even deep in your Bible study, the letter of James is really just like a deeper commentary of just how to apply the Sermon on the Mount. That's really what it is. So maybe for you, you want to go just a little bit deeper. Read some of the Sermon on the Mount, starting in Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. But this is what Christ said in Matthew 5, 22. And I'll be honest with you, this is unsettling. This is. But it's the Word of God. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. I'll tell you... I've been wrestling with that since I studied it. I'm like, oh, Lord, there's got to be another way. I mean, there's just got to be. But that's just one of the things that Jesus says. And when he says it, it's just kind of like an atom bomb in my soul that I know that it changes everything. It changes the way that I need to evaluate my relationships, the way I evaluate my relationship with, with Christ, the, the way that I value my relationship with myself and other people specifically in this text. I, I just know what he says. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Let me just say this to you. I, I, gotta, I have to say this. Stop justifying your anger by what your dad did, or by who your parents are, or the country of origin that you're from, or the color of hair that you have. Like, I have family members who have red hair, and it's just like, you know, they'll say something wrong, they'll just respond in absolute anger, they'll just be, they'll just like blow off the handle and be like, you know what, you know how those redheads are? I'm like, really? Really? Well, you know, I have people from certain different parts of the world, and it's like, well, you know, we just know how we are. We just, that's the nationality. They're, they're blaming their anger on the nationality, not taking any responsibility for themselves. But we kind of back it up with some, with some excuses, too. And when we say things, we respond with anger. Here's what we tell ourselves. Well, I had to say it. I had to say it. If I didn't say it, somebody, who, who else was going to say it? But in your mind and in your heart, you're really glad that you had the chance to say it. Which means that you probably shouldn't have. Stop making excuses for your anger, your lack of control with your words, the parents you had. Maybe it's the situation at hand. These are the types of things that, that we make excuses of. And if you've said some of these things, you've tried to make an excuse for your uncontrolled anger. And this is maybe some things where, where the anger is, is starting to bubble up and we have to really watch our words and listen, not speak. We say things like, well, you ruined our marriage. If you wouldn't have done that, if you wouldn't have pursued Him, and what you just said is, I'm mad 
at you and my anger, all of my anger. You're not accepting any responsibility for, for that anger. You're trying to put it all on the situation at hand and blame that person. Or your boss. Well, I deserve the raise and they got the raise. And now you're mad at your boss. You may not say it to their face because you can't. Because, you know, if you did everything that you felt, you'd be fired. So you go into work and you're just like, can you believe it? I'm looking for another job when I go home. I'm going to start networking again. I'm out of here. It's kind of stuff we say to ourselves. But that's not controlled anger. That's anger that's just below the surface. If we don't do something with it, it's going to be destroying our relationships. Or you took my reputation. There are many, many grown women who blame their anger on something that happened 20 years ago because they've never gone over it, never got over it. They've never invited Christ into it. And you walk around and you're bitter and you're upset and you're angry and you don't let anyone else in because of something that happened 20 years ago to a person that may not even be alive anymore. Why would you do that to yourself? Why would you do that to yourself? You deserve more. All anger stems from a feeling that someone owes you something. Someone owes you something. This is very profound, at least it was to me. Verse 21, James 1.21, it says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent in, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, get rid of all moral filth. The key to, to what he's talking about in, in these words, by the way, these are only used one time in the New Testament. This, this word for moral filth and evil is only used one time. The moral filth is, is a Greek word that talks about not just filth externally, but filth internally. Which is why I said that if you have uncontrolled, unaccounted for anger in your life, it affects all three of the most vital relationships that you will have while you walk planet Earth. The internal side and the external when it spills out to other people. It just damages us. So, let me give you a second point. After our third point, slow to become angry is the second point. Third point is this. Just say good riddance. Just say good riddance. I've given you practical steps, the questions. Just say good riddance. Say, you know what? I'm going to rid myself of all moral filth. I'm not going to do that. I want to allow Jesus Christ to come in to the center of my heart. I want Him to redeem all the brokenness so that brokenness doesn't spill out on other people. So I can actually listen and respond to the needs of other people instead of just listening a very little bit and talking a lot and allowing my anger to just spill onto everyone else and run everybody else out of my life. Say good riddance. Say good riddance. So part of this, and I got this from verse 21. 
is the, the Greek word I just told you about for moral filth. And the second Greek word for evil, the definition of that, that word, I thought it was interesting. I don't really give you a lot of definitions because it's a little too technical usually, but this is very clear. It means evil in character or sin that springs from bad attitudes within oneself. It's pretty clear, right? You don't need to be a theologian. So we have to allow the gospel truth to, to renew our mind and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness and to, to take out those things in our heart so God can do just the, the repair work on our very heart to renew our soul and our mind and give us the strength that He provides because you cannot control your anger yourself. I don't care what your personality is. I don't care how gifted you are. That anger will either be explosive or it will be just beneath the surface. It will be just beneath the surface. It's kind of like years ago. For years I've taken my kids on these little camping and hiking excursions, mountain biking excursions. I've done it for years and years and years. I love to tour my kids. It's awesome. But one time specifically, I took them on this little experience in South Florida and as I kind of, we drove down in, in the uh, family truckster, the minivan that I was grateful to get rid of recently. And we drove down there with all the stuff and it was awesome and it was raining and we made the best of it. But, but it, was, it was really interesting. Like that night I went and got some wood and had a hard time starting the fire and all that. I got the fire started, came to the end of the night, we did the marshmallows and all that. And at the end of the night, I did what I always do and I, I've, I've created fires in good ways most of my life. And when I would create fires, I know how to put one out. And, and this night specifically, it, it had a water source, so fire was just kind of raging. I poured water on the fire, kind of did its thing, and the fire went out. And then I kind of, and then fire was like just, like it was all but gone. Like you could look at it almost, I mean, you could touch it, and it wasn't going to burn your hand. I threw some dirt on it, which is what you're supposed to do, Right? Did everything right. Well, we went into the tent and we're hanging out. And I don't know, I was probably doing charades or something, making my kids laugh, making a fool of myself. I'm really good at that. And later on that night, Austin wakes me up and he's like, Dad, Dad. I'm like, What? He's like, The fire's not out. I'm like, Son, the fire's out. I'm like, I knew what to do. Pour water on it, put your hand on it. And it ain't going to start burning again. Threw dirt on it. Same deal. Put your hand on it. It's not going to do anything. He's like, no, Dad, it's on fire. I have like a long, like a long history of like questioning what my son says for a bunch of different reasons. So I kind of like kind of blew it off still until I looked over and all I could see was just like this fire. It was in a ring, so it was controlled. But it like this whole fire that went up, and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought I did everything right. But even when I put the dirt on the coals, and even when I put the water on the coals, there was still something smoldering there. It was still there. And I thought I'd done everything right. I mean, I read the books. I'm a little weird. I was telling the truth. I have read books on this stuff. Like, I did everything right, but yet the fire wasn't all the way out. You see, it's the same way when, when we have anger in our life. We have to make sure that whatever was the thing that was creating the anger in the first place is dealt with. If not, it's just going to be like pouring water on hot coals and just throwing dirt. And it's going to come back. One thing I know to be true is this. Bitterness 
and forgiveness cannot coexist. Bitterness and forgiveness cannot coexist. They can't. See, that anger comes from somewhere. It's the belief that somebody owes you something. That either either your life isn't what you think it should be and that God has done you wrong. So you're blaming God. You're mad at God. Or you blame somebody else because you think you should have this job or you think that, that whatever, whatever situation happened with you, you think somebody owes you something. And the thing that's worst of all is this. When we fail ourselves and then we blame ourselves, we really don't have anything. We don't even know what to do with that. But what we do because we don't know how to fix it, is then we take it out on everybody else. So James tells us to humbly accept the word. It's the last point. He says, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Humbly accept the word. See, there's no words like the words of love. To hush a seething heart. There's no words like the words of love to hush a seething heart. So when somebody is responding to you in anger, if you will if you will be slow to speak, you'll be quick to listen, you will become slow to become angry. You see, and how we respond in those situations could mean the difference between you sharing the love of Christ with that person. And what if that person's your kids? What if that person is your spouse that doesn't know Christ? What if it's that person? What if the reason why you're in that job that you're in is so you one day can share the love of Jesus with your boss, the same one that you feel tempted to be so mad at? Have you ever thought that? What if God put you exactly where you are because He wanted to share His message of love through you. But if we're not, if we're not quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, you will not have the opportunity to spread the love of Jesus. It's that important. So in closing, let me ask you this. James tells us, verse 21, he says, Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. To humbly accept the word. The last point. Have you accepted the word of God as it was delivered to you just now? Or have you settled in your heart and said, You know what? I don't have anger issues. I'm not even going to I'm not going to own up to anything that I've done. I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to allow anyone else in. Have you allowed the word that was just brought to you land where it needed to? Only you know that. My hope is this. My hope is that leaving today that you would have a deeper affection for Jesus Christ.
And because of that affection for Jesus Christ, because of that, not because of even what I've said, not even because this, just because the Bible is true, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, that He bore your sins. The very thing that He's now, by the Holy Spirit, is trying to redeem in you, He bore the weight of those sins on a cross on your behalf. Not just on behalf of somebody else in a foreign land, but because somebody who lives at your address... Because of somebody who's wearing your clothes right now. That has to be the starting point of humbly accepting the Word. Not just because the Bible's true. Not just because you're in church. Not just because I said something. But because of what Jesus Christ has done. And do you know what your anger has done? Your anger, explosive as it was, As much as you tried to justify it, your anger inflicted upon other people nailed Christ to the cross. So let me ask you again. What would your life look like if you surrendered to these truths? Your relationships would be better, wouldn't they? You would truly learn how to love yourself and not sabotage yourself. Your relationship with God could be restored. And your relationship, even with your greatest enemy, by the way, we're supposed to love those two, with our greatest enemy, could be renewed if you do what this says. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the, the sacrifice on the cross. Thank you that, that your gospel renews and that we can have evidence of that renewal when we're slow to speak, when we're quick to listen, and when we're slow to become angry. Father, I pray that as we go about this place today and as we leave and we go home and we go to lunch and we go do whatever we're going to do today and as we go to work tomorrow, And Tuesday, Father, I pray that this message will be an atom bomb in people's souls. That it will clean house. That they will reevaluate what they say and how they say it. I pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.